Hello and welcome to another episode of Total Reboot, the only podcast on the internet about movies. Speaking to you now, it is me, Alexi Toliopoulos, letting you know that this week we have a very special episode and that means we are pausing our 1982 miniseries. We'll be back with Robin Williams in The World According to Garp as we continue our exploration of the iconic films of that outrageous summer of 1982 next week but this week i was fortunate enough to talk to one of the most interesting filmmakers working today peter strickland whose new film flux gourmet is in cinemas in australia right now in limited release peter's work holds so much richness in its textures of soundscapes meeting vision creating a style that contains so much depth and meaning his previous films include Barbarian Sound Studio, a unique tribute to European horror with a mesmerizing use of sound starring the always wonderful Toby Jones, a favorite of both Cameron and myself. His other films include 2014's The Duke of Burgundy, a dreamlike exploration of sensuality and power through a sadomasochistic relationship. And a film that I absolutely adore, In Fabric, a giallo horror riff with a fantastic sense of humor in that alt-British tone featuring the mighty Boucher's Julian Barrett. But his new film, Flux Gourmet, continues exploring the odd world of Peter Strickland's meeting of humor and style. It's a food movie like none I've ever encountered before. One that focuses on the oral, sonic aspects of food in film rather than the visual and the consequence of food rather than enjoying the pleasures of it. The film stars Asa Butterfield, Ariane Labed, and Strickland mainstay Fatma Mohammed as a band of sonic caterers that layer the sounds of food to create musical performance. The collective find themselves embroiled in power struggles of artistic conflict while in residence at an institute devoted to their odd art form under the charge of a wicked arts patron played with much delight by Gwendolyn Christie. Standout Greek character actor from Chevalier and Suntan, Makis Papadimitriou serves as our point-of-view perspective character, a writer covering the residency with anxiety around the rumblings of a gastrointestinal order. As soon as Peter joined me on a Zoom chat, we started talking about our shared Greek heritage, which was something I was dying to talk to him about. So I hit record and kicked things off as soon as I could. I hope you enjoy our discussion as much as I did and that you seek out Flux Gourmet in cinemas now. And deep breath. Am I going to die? Name me a living thing that isn't. What is he doing in there? A thousand hands applaud to That was the boss. She says what she likes, what she doesn't like. I could replace them and nothing would change. I stop and smile. We're all harboring something that needed purging. We all kind of hate each other anyway. How much of you is in this? Everything. And with that, we need to go further into oblivion. Wait till I write my memoirs. You write those memoirs. I will. Cooking 
Looking and performing is a hazard. Happens all the time, this kind of thing. Congratulations on the new film, Flux Gourmet. I absolutely loved it. I'm a fan of your work. So honestly, I'm a little, I'm very excited to have you, to be honest. Thank you. Thanks for having me. One thing I want to start talking about was I kind of went into your film with some kind of anticipation or a preconceived notion because what I love so much about your films is there's such a rich texture visually and orally. And seeing that you were making a food movie, I was filled with so much anticipation to see how that was going to translate. And I think I was so surprised and delighted that it was unlike any food movie I've ever encountered before. Because I think we have that idea of what a food movie is going to be. It's going to be a rich mixing of the visual elements of food and the sound elements of food, like that sizzle, that crackle, and leaving your brain to fill in the rest of the senses that food encompasses. And I was so surprised and delighted that it is just a focus on the sounds. And I would wondering if you could talk to me a bit about your relationship with food. Um, well, I mean, I, I, I was in, in, in a band that dealt with very similar things. We would cook food, we would amplify it, record it, um, take what was then quarter inch tape from those recordings and treat it like food, you know, chop it up, layer it, splice it, um, process it, um, mix it. Um, so that was, yeah, I guess my, my relationship with food was um, not, you know, more to do with hearing <laughs> than, than eating. Um, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a gourmet. I mean, th those, um, all those French dishes, which I mentioned in the film, half of them, I don't even know what, what they are. <laughs> I, never uh, I like Greek food, though. I, 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 I like, it's interesting, I was, talking to someone the other day about Greek food that if you go to Greece the way it's done in a taverna it's there's no etiquette it's just here's a, a bit of plastic over the table all the stuff comes everyone shares it's more about pleasure it's not about um whereas you go to a posh, re a posh restaurant in London it's so much is about your table manners and the etiquette and so what I like about Greek food is, is just let's just get on with it. There's no showmanship around it. Just it's all about the food, all mm. about mixing with other people and sharing the food. Even though I'm not the best person to share food, but I'm quite <laughs> selfish with food. Um, but yeah, um, but you know, there are other elements. You know, it's, it's not it's not just the 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 the, the eating. It's also the, um, the 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 cooking aspect. You know, and the whole gender aspect regarding that and the role of different genders in, in the kitchen um, with that whole cookbook you see in the film. So mm. I, I guess I'm exploring, you know, the kitchen, everything from kitchen politics to alimentary disorders, you know, the one's relationship with the stomach and disorders, um, which I try to make less of a taboo. You know, why, why should it be a taboo if someone is suffering? Why can't you openly say, I have these issues without fearing someone laughing at you. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I guess it it kind of goes for a lot to do with food, apart from actually the joy of food itself. <laughs> I think that's what I found so fascinating about it. I think it kind of is expressed in your other work as well, where a lot of your films, this one included, they're about pleasurable things, but. 
often what you kind of explore cinematically is the consequence of that pleasure or the consequence of those acts. And I think that it's kind of never more clear than it is in this film. Uh, I found that so kind of fascinating for it to be a food film about the consequence of food and kind of how, you know, everyone has those grumbly tummies or something I suffer from a lot and seeing that kind of come up on the big screen and play with like the anxiety of it. I think that, I don't think I'd seen something done in that way where a lot of comedy comes out of it, but I think yeah. you sink into the empathy so much more of like what the reality of those moments are. Well, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't have an issue with people making comedy out of it. It's just like, well, okay, that's fine. You do that. Um, let's find a space where we give it some more dignity. Um, I mean, the only issue I have with comedy is when it's done about anaphylaxis, because anaphylaxis is mm. that's life or death, you know, in that moment. And to me, that 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 can never be funny. But again, that has been done as comedy many times. And yeah, so I, I think it was more like a, I wanted to kind of try some kind of reset of how we think about these things that um yeah i mean a fart in the right context is great you know in, in a classroom at school of course. Uh, it could never be denied someone, <laughs> yeah no i i would never say you can't laugh at that but to have someone who has um autoimmune issues which which provoke flatulence or not even that crohn's disease which is well, that is autoimmune as well in mean, anything mm -hmm. irritable bowel syndrome um yeah, I, I think there was a space where you you can give that some dignity, really, and look at what they go through, this kind of hidden world, because it's not spoken about. It's not spoken about in film. It's not spoken about in society. People don't talk about these things. Um, the, the to uh, you know, if someone can come, if someone can say after watching that film, they have the same issues, you know, to. You're not going to solve their medical issues, but at the same time, to talk about it is is a huge is a huge kind of liberation. One of the things you mentioned just then was uh, like dignity in regards to these things. Now, something that really stuck with me was Makis uh, Papadimitriou. I love this actor. I loved him in Suntan and Chevalier, and I was so excited to see him working with you. And one thing that I kind of struck me was this movie is your greekest movie so far and especially with its you know one third of this film is partly his narration uh which is in greek and i found that as a really interesting way to kind of give that character his dignity for him being the point of view character the narration being in his native tongue where the rest of the film in character is speaking in english was that something you were conscious of yeah, well, it, it, it was his private language. It's it, it's his, his, his private issues to do with his stomach, hence his private language. You know, no one else can understand, even though it's in his head. Um, it, it, you know, it had to be in Greek. Um, so, and you know, there's an element of obviously I'm half Greek, and I always my, my first script back in 1997, which never got made, that had a lot of Greek in it, and I've always been trying. I think this is the third film I've been trying to get muscle in more, more Greek. Um, we love to see that. <laughs> I think there is, you know, I think there is this guilt I have that I lost so much Greek from just being a complacent British person. Um, you know, our Britain's relationship with Europe, as you, well, as you can probably tell from the last few years, it's been very contentious. Um, but, uh, 
some of it, some of it was political. That in this age of Brexit, I want more and more not just Europeans but European accents as well. Um, it's just kind of interesting how um, we've come a long way with diversity, of course, um, but actors are still told you don't sound British, you can't play British. I mean, you would never, you know, quite rightly, you would never say to someone, you don't look British, you can't play British. You would never say that. So, but why are people saying to actors with foreign accents, you, you can't play British? Um, whilst at the same time, if they need an Eastern European bad character, they'll get a, a British actor to put on an accent. Um, so, you know, I'm not, I would never say you can't allow uh a British actor to put on accents. Um, but the, what's weird is there's just no conversation around this whatsoever. Uh, there's some great examples of British actors putting on accents. You know, Manuel in 40 Towers with Andrew Sachs. I mean, I love that. So, uh, But we're not talking about this properly. That, that, that's the thing. So, yeah, for me to have three, half the cast speaking in their own accents, Ariane, Makis, Fatma, um, to me, that was a, a, a bit of a statement. I mean, obviously, they're great actors as, as, as well. But, um, yeah, I, if you listen to the sound of British films, most of them sound very British. Whereas you look at the demographic, it it's not, doesn't sound that way at all, really. Do you feel that this film, especially in moments where... Uh, Marcus, like, is being questioned on his knowledge as a writer, his knowledge on literature, especially by, I love your creation of Dr. Glock, one of my favourite comedic characters in recent <laughs> times, how he keeps on kind of questioning Marcus's uh, credentials as a writer, not knowing so much about the written world or written history, bringing up so many, like, Greco and Greek and Hellenic examples of authors. Was that an expression of yourself? as a greek person taking no not at all. those things no. <laughs> well, well i mean he, he's an expression of me in the sense that he's he's a devious bastard and i think all filmmakers are devious bastards uh so there is that side of me that likes to provoke an audience and annoy an audience um i actually meant more of Maki's taking ownership of them when he corrects him Evropides instead of euripides well, that was Marcus's idea. Well, that wasn't even his idea. Basically, what it was. No, that was not in the script. That wow. was um, when we were on set about to film it. He said, "Every beavies," and for a minute, I didn't quite click. And I'm, oh yeah, that's the Greek way, of course, of course. And then I can't remember. It might have been him. I really can't remember who. And it's like, oh, actually, yeah. He he will correct Doctor Glock at that point. He will bite back. Um, that was not in the script. That came very much from from, from Mackis. But I, I think, no, I think the Dr. Glock thing was not related to me in any kind of, I mean, I'm, my knowledge of Greek philosophy and mythology is pretty minimal. Um, Dr. Glock was based on someone. I won't say who that someone is, but um, <laughs> I, 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 well. Did you have I, a nightmare doctor yourself? <laughs> Uh, not even a doctor. No, someone I, someone in, someone in the arts. I know a lot of these. It's not even one. I know a lot of these types. You know that type of, of guy course. who <laughs> will always try <laughs> intellectual one-upmanship. 
Mm. Um, so, but he does it, Dr. Locke does it to everyone. He does it to Ace's character as well and to Ariane. Um, he's just a dick. Sorry, excuse my language. But, um, <laughs> you can swear here today. We'll allow it. I think in, 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 in a film, he's great fun to watch. In real life, he'd be a nightmare. But in the film, I, I, I love him. It's the same way I love Richard E. Grant's character um, from With Nard and I. I, I, in real life, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tolerate him. But so there's an interesting thing with film: how these characters that you, yeah, there can be great fun behind the safety of a cinema screen. <laughs> your this is your fifth collaboration with Fatma Mohammed, uh, the actress. Yes. Uh, I, I think it's so interesting you've had this collaborative relationship with each other. What do you think you've learned about her through the making of this film? God, I got Bramley's stomach, actually. I don't know if you heard that. Um, I hope I got that on the record. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually, it's my, it's, it's my Bramley's stomach in the film. Uh, I wanted all his bodily sounds to come from me. Um, oh, wow. Felt, there was like a, a sort of two-way pact with Mackie. So I thought, okay, let's, if he embarrasses himself, I'll embarrass myself. But it just took ages. And I thought, okay, my stomach's going to rumble. It's going to rumble. It's not rumbling. So <laughs> we had a microphone at the ready. Um, but I'm very, I'm very proud that it's my stomach rumbling. And even in parts of the film with the lodgings, we slowed down my stomach. Oh, so wow. It sounds like the, the, it sounds like the plumbing, but that's actually my stomach. But sorry, Fatma Mohammed. So, um, well, it, it's very much a learning thing. I think five films together, we get to know each other more and more. Um, she had a very small part in my first film. I, I didn't know her at all. And, you, you know, when you get to work with someone more, you discover different sides to their character, sides that you can exploit as a you know as, as, a, as a director um but a lot of that just comes from tailoring the way i work to her character as well um but yeah she has so many so many so many different sides to her that i'm always well you know with each film i'm trying to find some different thing i, I can tease out but she finds it quite difficult you know i mean she's um english is not her mother tongue and it's hard, especially the, the the film we did before when she speaks in this very um, almost nonsensical flamboyant English. I think she really struggled with 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 that. I think even in a even a British person would absolutely. But she's great. I mean, I I, I, I love working with her. I mean, it's uh, it got to the stage where I, I can't imagine making a film without her. Really. Um, uh, but at the same time, I always like directors who work with the same actors. You know, I think of John Waters with Divine, mm. um, Fassbinder with Margaret Carstensen or Hannah Shigula, um, Bergman, you know, Liv Ullman, people like, you know, so yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like this really. Trying to elevate myself <laughs> to their level. <laughs> Well, I think that's part of it. I think it becomes quite seen as like a legacy where you see this partnership grow and how the two of you or how two of actor and director, the relationship grows as their career go. Do you think that coming back and working with each other each time, is that kind of an incentive for you to up your game a little as well? Well, it's it's a two-way thing because obviously, uh, not obviously, but you know, I try to give her more and more demanding roles each each, each time. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's it's a two-way thing. Um, I mean, I should add on 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 a on a side note, um, it's just very sad that she doesn't get any other work. No one, nobody offers her any other films. Um, she can't get an agent. Uh, 
Sophia. It, it doesn't frustrate me. I think she's she's a great actor. Um, yeah. And I think in Romania, she, she she has a lot of theater work, but even in film, you know, she's not technically Romanian. She's half Sudanese. Uh, her dad's from Sudan. Her mother's Hungarian. Uh, so Romanian might be her mother tongue. But so, yeah, she's kind of caught between worlds, really. really. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think she's she's dynamite. She's, she's yeah. such a great actor. I, I, I don't understand why she doesn't get more more work. Oh, I think she's absolutely fantastic in this one. I think it's like such a meaty role to kind of show off her comedy chops as well. And I think that's the one thing I really love about your films is the kind of like esoteric nature of your comedic sensibilities, how they kind of reveal themselves throughout. What were the kind of comedy influences you had early on in your life? <laughs> um, pretty basic, you know, like everyone, the Marx Brothers, um, Lord and Hardy, Harold Lloyd, uh, Hanna Barbera cartoons. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Forty Towers. Um, later was Mon Monty Python. Um, yeah, I, 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 my, especially my generation, where it's not like now, where everything is so fragmented across different mm. different streaming platforms and so on we all had the same three channels of television the same radio stations so there's kind of like a unified sense of humor that we grew up on this i don't know what what, what you would call it but yeah, I, I i think what it is with with this film you're kind of making fun of yourself obviously you know i'm someone very similar to Fatma's character you know I I, I, I make things um, yeah. I have to collaborate with people um, so yeah it would be pretty pretty boring if I made it you know <laughs> who, you know you, you, you don't want to be like Michael Flatley and kind of this kind of <laughs> self yeah self, what, what is the word you know you know, you know I, I think you just you kind of you have to like take a take a few shots of your own ego Exactly, yeah, yeah. The one film that really struck with me, this felt a lot like almost The Cook, The Thief, A Wife, and Her Lover meets Spinal Tap. And I think, like, <laughs> Spinal Tap and those kind of, almost like those E-True Hollywood stories are behind the music documentaries. Did you feel like you were kind of trying to make one of those about your own experiences in your very strange little band? Uh, Spinal Tap, absolutely. Yeah, Spinal Tap, definitely. That was very explicit. I mean, when I, when I spoke to Tim Fletcher, sorry, Tim Kirby and Colin Fletcher, who mm. are the other two members of I was in, you know, I showed them the script. You know, I, I, I did mention, you know, none of us are going to look good coming out of yeah. this. Um, they were fine about it. Um, and But yeah, I mean, Spinal Tap was, I, I love that film. And, you know, I, I just thought, why do we do a Spinal Tap for music which is not rock and roll music um the cook the thief i mean i i, I remember that film very well i mean i, I love that film um i guess it comes up because of certain things like cannibalism and mm. food itself but you know the greenaway weirdly was not so much of an influence um more pasolini to be honest you know pasolini oh, with totally. Salo, the, yeah. the, the 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 structure of this film is pretty much the structure of Salo. um you know, in Salo, you have third act, the circle of shit. You know, and this one is yeah. is the battle, is 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 the night thereof. So it's very much mirroring that, but without this awful 
degradation and so on and violence. Um, but yeah, I, I'm Spinal Tap definitely, I think. <laughs> because, you know, the bands, even if you're not in a band, there's so much you can relate to in terms of being in a group about other people and egos and rivalries and so on. It's kind of like the inherent conflict of collaboration that is kind of trapped in that realm of comedy as well. Yeah, and, and also the idea of dependency, you know, who depends on whom. Um, you have this visionary person who comes up with the ideas, but leave them on their own. They, they can't get anything done because they can't push a button. Um, you have technical pe people, and you see this played out all the time in, in court cases. You know, Spandau Ballet or The Smiths or <laughs> yeah. whatever, you know. It's that classic thing of, you know, whose value is of value. Um, so that really comes out in the film, that who, um, the idea of technique versus um, ideas and concepts and so on, which, you know, I, I'm, I'm not one to an answer that, but, you know, I think it's just interesting to kind of lay out those arguments in an, in a film. I think we're almost running out of time, but I want to ask you a couple more things. Is there any, is there anything else you w wish you'd been asked during this kind of media circuit around this film? Well, I think there's this the whole kitchen politics side of it, which hasn't come up much, weirdly. Um, but that's a long, long discussion. You know, it's very convoluted because it's not done as a straightforward sloganeering thing, you know, because obviously you have Billy's speech, which, which completely undermines Elle's feminist speech, and you have these reveals that expose certain fault lines in her, in the way the way she's thinking. So, um, I mean, I did it in such a way that I didn't want the again. I think with everything, I didn't want the audience to know what side I'm on, um, mm. which obviously comes comes with a risk because people might think I'm I'm some kind of bigot. Um, but it was more. I, I just like ambiguity in in that way where you. you don't quite know. I think the only thing that I wanted the audience to feel in terms of what side I'm on is with the stomach issues. But even that didn't quite work. A lot of people thought I was making fun of Max's character. So again, even if you try to be less ambiguous, <laughs> it's always someone who's going to misunderstand what you're trying to do. So, you know, that's just that's just the nature of doing doing these things. You just <laughs> You do it and you can't control how an audience is going to um, digest the whole thing, really. Beautiful use of the word digestion, I must say. Uh, pun, it was not intended, but by the time I said it, I realized it kind of was too late. To I felt that, a yeah. tingle. And that's in the audio industry, we call that a tingle when you have a moment like that. <laughs> Are there any other newer filmmakers around that you're really fascinated by or do you really particularly love their work and excite you? Like Lucille Hadji Halilovic, I wouldn't call her new because her first one was 2004, and she worked with Gaspar Noé quite a bit before that. Mm. But you know, I loved her new film Earwig, um, really, really beautiful and poetic and out there. Um, I love Mark Jenkin. I thought his work of 16 mil and Super 8 is really, really just just extraordinary. Um, who else out there? Um, you know, I think a lot of the new filmmakers like Rose Glass, Prano Baby Bond, there's a whole new generation coming up who are doing really inter interesting stuff. Um, haven't seen, I saw Charlie, Charlie Shackleton, I saw his film After Image. Oh, I just saw that. Yeah, it's really ghostly, isn't it? It's Yeah, uh, especially like just that concept of it's just one film, one canister, 
that is going to exist and grow. I, it's a film that I really hope I get to encounter again much later on in its timeline. Yes, so if it still exists. I think the whole idea is it's going to deteriorate. Yeah. Um, but there are, many fil- there are many films I haven't seen. You know, these last few years have just been crazy with lockdown and everything, all the stuff that goes with that and making this film. So there's a whole bunch of films that I just haven't got around to seeing. So that, what I mentioned, is just of stuff I've seen. Well, that's beautiful little snapshot. And more. there's always more to come. Films never stop. <laughs> yeah, there's this thing that I'm never going to catch up. I think most of us realise this. Yeah, just I've kind of reduced kind of reading about films and watching trailers. And yeah. I saw myself. Oh, but actually, I saw that film. I kind of pretend I saw it. <laughs> right next to your head on my desk, I've got, like, next to my laptop, a stack of, I think, 50 DVDs that I've yet to watch or even put away. So, it just never ends. I'm kind of sitting in uh, my own prison of it always. Yeah, it's the same here. I mean, I bought Ammonite. I bought Afterlove. Um, and whatever. I can't even remember, but... A lot of stuff, not 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 just new films as well, but older stuff. Um, but yeah, I just never get round, sadly. Um, That's the beauty. There's always a journey for us to go on. You know, I think the streaming the streaming fears is, is going to be taken down. At least I have them on yeah. on, on a shelf. Um, as long as the DVD player works. Exactly. That's why I've got backups in my house as well, just in case. Backup players, you mean? Yeah, I've got two DVD players, two Blu-ray players. I've, you know, just in case one stops working. Well, they they they're fewer and fewer available. They're going to be discontinued quite soon. It's it's um. Oh, don't say that. Yeah, I, I do. I do. People talk about the future of cinema in terms of mm. new films getting made, but this the other future of cinema is preserving older films. And how is that going to? Yeah, with streaming. I'm happy it exists. I think it should exist, of course. I think, Of course. Especially for people who can't afford DVDs. But at the same time, you're at the mercy of, of, of these companies. You can just take them down on a whim, basically. Um, As we're seeing so much now with the HBO Max, Warner, Discovery, Merger, so many things are disappearing. And it, I, even films that are on streamers feel like they disappear after moments being out in the sunshine. Do you feel like you, because you work in the space of like artistic art house cinema do you feel like you're safe from that kind of danger i'm not safe no no i mean the only ones who are safe are are the ones who are backed by the big studios or the classics you know your citizen kane is always going to be preserved uh i mean you have you know you have the bfi national film archive you can donate your work there there'll always be the right room the right room temperature and everything um i the whole thing is and because there's so much, so much is getting made now. Um, there is a fear of getting lost in a sea of content. Um, uh, yeah, I. You, I mean, what can you do? You kind of make the stuff, hope, hope for the best, um, hope it exists on people's shelves somewhere. Um, but yeah, it, it's. And you know, there's there's also this wider question also about the energy consumption and the environmental aspect. You know, with with streaming, I'm not a technician, but you know, I imagine there are a lot of hard drives whirring away to have all this stuff available. Um, 
Is it, I, I, I don't know the answer to this, you know, is it more efficient in terms of energy than making 5,000 DVDs or something? I'm, 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 I'm not sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think we have a lot of stuff to work through these next <laughs> for a few years in terms of how we um, navigate preservation and energy and all, all these kinds of questions, you know, access. Yeah. Are you working on anything at the moment? I'm working on two films that I wrote quite a while ago. Um, I don't have a great deal of faith in them getting made for some reason. I'm quite cynical at the moment. Um, so I'm mainly um, writing for other people. I have three writing jobs. I decided to become a writer for hire. A hack, basically. Like Marcus's character. Like Marcus, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I enjoy it, actually. It's something really satisfying. Is it freeing? It is freeing. Uh, you know, when it's my stuff, when I'm making my films, you're always fighting with someone. But because it's a commission with these other jobs, it's not my baby. I don't... Sorry to be blunt. I don't care. So... I'm very happy to sit in a room with people telling me what to do. And I have no issue with that whatsoever. It's something quite liberating to, to do something for others and to please them. Um, and it, you know, it is a money job, of course, you know, I have, mm. I have to pay, pay. Um, but I, I mean, you have to find other, other means of work. As a comic. I mean, unless Boys. you're rich, you can't, I mean, I'm not poor. I'm, I'm, I'm middle-class, but you, you cannot, even as a middle-class person, you cannot survive on making these, these types of films. You have to. So, you know, I think other filmmakers do adverts. I would, but I just don't, I don't, those jobs don't come my way. So I, I write for hire. Um, but yeah, I'm very happy doing those jobs. I mean, that's, that's the living work of working in this industry. I mean, I'm always working on some TV show that I don't, I, sometimes I care about it, sometimes I don't, but either way, I love doing it because, you know, it lets me make the things I really care about, the things I really want to make. Same here. Yeah, same here. I mean, again, time, there's less time to do what I really want to do, but that's life. I mean, I had a sweet spot. I had maybe between 2011 and 2017, so like mm. six years of only making films. Um, but, other, you know... Other than that, you know, before before I my before my films were were known, I was always doing day jobs. So that's just part of life. You you have to kind of manage the time. Um, it's you know it's, it's an extreme privilege to only only make films that you you want to make. You know, so I had six years of that privilege. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah, well, I'm lucky that you got to do it as well. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thanks for hanging out and talking to me. This was so much fun. I was very excited to talk with you. And uh, great to speak to a fellow Greek as well. So, yeah. It's, um, wow. That's what I really want to hear. That's the main thing. My Greek is terrible, but yeah. 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 So, um, well, Thanks for listening. Everything. Thank you. And see you. So that was my chat with filmmaker Peter Strickland. His film, Flux Gourmet, is in cinemas in Australia right now in a limited release. I want to say thank you to Alex from Arcadia for setting up that chat. 
Thank you very much. I'm very grateful. Cameron and I will be coming at you in a video form very soon. September 26 will be the premiere date of the first episode of our new docu-comedy series, Finding Jesus. It is a mystery investigation that we collaborated with with our dear friends, Auntie Donna, who produced it. That series is coming out September 26 and every Monday after that. So subscribe to the Grass House YouTube channel to make sure you get it straight away. And I guess I'm going to say click the bell so you get the notification when it drops and you'll see that trailer very soon. Hope to see you if you live in Sydney at the Sydney Underground Film Festival this weekend. It is the best way to discover film and celebrate cinema in this city. Uh, and if you're around, say hi. I'll be there most of the weekends. But it is such a great thing to go and support. It is in the heart of the city, so easy to get to at Events in West George Street. Pick up tickets online. They're cheap as frick right now. And I hope you enjoy a cinema-filled life. <laughs>